Attention architects and creative minds, get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul, uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. Thank you to BQE, the makers of BQE Core, for their support of this episode. BQE Core is the software that makes it easy to manage your projects and people for maximum productivity and ultimate profitability. Learn more at bqe.com. Context and Clarity has been called a community-based pro-practice masterclass for architects. It's awfully high praise, but since we began this journey back in April of 2020, we've certainly grown into a community of small firm architects, all focused on what matters most to their success. And by the way, it doesn't matter if you're the employee of a firm that's dreaming of going out on your own, or you've owned your own firm for 26 years. There's something here for everyone. And that's where you come in. Thanks for listening and welcome to the Context and Clarity Podcast. Every week, we have a conversation with an expert or a thought leader on things that matter most to the success of architects just like you. Then we go backstage with someone from our community and we talk about what we learned, what our biggest takeaways were, and how we're going to apply what we heard to our own businesses. In this episode, we talked with Jonathan Stark. He's the author of Hourly Billing is Nuts and the host of the Ditching Hourly podcast. As you can imagine from those titles, he's not a fan of the hourly rate pricing model. Jonathan is a proponent of the value-based pricing model, and I know that this conversation really challenged some in our community. Maybe it will challenge you too. Most architects that I know bill at least some portion of their services on an hourly rate. Keep an open mind though. Jonathan talks about what value really means And I love his starting point for pricing projects for clients. What he talks about as necessary may not be where you typically start when you're putting a proposal together. So listen and find out. As usual, Catherine McPhail joined me for the conversation with Jonathan Stark and backstage afterwards. 
Catherine is my co-host, and she's an architect and a podcaster from Arlington, Massachusetts. In addition to Context and Clarity, Catherine hosts Talking Home Renovations with the House Maven, and she's the CEO of Demios Architects. As usual, I'm looking forward to talking about our takeaways from the conversation. So let's go backstage and listen in as Catherine and I talk about our conversation with Jonathan Stark. Like I didn't really think today would be, I didn't really think today would be that exciting. But you were excited, apparently. But I ended up excited after talking to him about, because I thought, you know, I always bill hourly and that's just the way I'm going to go because that's the way I've always done it, which isn't my usual, you know, the way I, I guess in this case, I feel like that's the way I've always done it. And people are weird about money and I don't want to charge them too much and the whole thing. And I, I just don't feel comfortable giving a flat fee. And then if I do, it's below what it actually ends up taking me because I don't want to tell them a really big number and they're going to be afraid. It's like this whole gluck, gluck that is my life, you know, of getting fees. So, but then I just like, somehow he made so much sense to me about how, um, just value trying to understand the value that somebody would pay. Cause I've been, you know, when I hire a coach, I think like, they're not telling me how much it's going to be. And so I know that they're not telling me how much it's going to be so that I can see everything they could offer me. And then I'm sitting there thinking like, wow, I would pay, you know, I would pay a hundred thousand dollars to be the best architect in Arlington. And, but then it only turns out to be 10 and look at that, you know, it's a good deal. <laughs> so maybe those coaches have figured something out. Yeah. They might've actually been following his podcast or something. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe so. Maybe so. I, I think, you know, as, as you were describing the, the way you've always done it, you know, that, that kind of thing, it, I, I think that's so perfect because it is the way for much of architecture, many, many practices in architecture have always, you know, put together something based on an hourly, um, there's percentage of construction and there's, there's other methods out there, but, but there's an awful lot of trading, uh, uh, time for money out there. And this is the way that we've always done it. And so I was really looking forward to this conversation with Jonathan and I knew it was going to push some people and challenge some people and, you know, raise some hackles or whatever, which is why I'm glad that he he broke a couple of things down in ways that I've never heard them broken down before. One was the idea that if you are charging hourly, you're putting all the risk on your client. I don't think we don't understand that, but I've never heard anybody put it that way before, I don't think. And then the other thing was um, this idea of starting with the, with the client experience and starting with the client's idea of success first and the scope last, which I think is the exact opposite of what a vast, vast majority of the architecture profession is doing. The first thing is you're unwilling. You're the professional, by the way. You're the one that knows about submittals and drawings and all of this other stuff but you're asking the client to take all of that risk. That's what hourly billing does. You're like, 
I'm the professional, but I don't know what's going to happen. So you take all the risk, client. I don't like to operate that way. And I don't think people here actually would prefer to operate that way if they had an alternative. So the alternative is to get, see, if you stop billing for your time and you start to take that risk on, you start getting really good at finding out and predicting how long it's going to take you to do that drawing or do those submittals. You start to think about that stuff because now it's money you're losing. So instead of putting that risk on your poor client who couldn't possibly know any of that stuff, then you take it on and you start to optimize around it. Maybe you start to focus down on a particular type of project where you know every single time you're going to go to this person at the city hall and it's going to take them two weeks to do this thing and they're going to reject it twice and then you're going to finally get it through. And you just know what your costs are. Because this, this comment is about not knowing what your costs are. So on the one hand, I'll, I'll challenge you to be the professional and figure out what your costs are. I know you're not going to know exactly, but if you set your prices such that you don't have razor thin margins, you're not going to care if it takes two revisions or three revisions with City Hall. It's not that big a deal. So if, you, if, if somebody, some country club person in Beverly Hills, if it's worth a million bucks to them to be the talk of the town, then you can charge a hundred grand to do a stained glass powder room design. And they'll be like, yes, this is it. I trust you. This is a credible claim. This will get me closer to my goal. Every party I have over here is going to be a hundred celebrities on Instagram talking about this powder room. That's what I want. But this is so, so the question comes from a place of scarcity. It comes from a place of tight margins. It comes from a place of fighting with clients about going over budget. If you flip the mindset, and I know I started out saying it's hard, it takes time, you got to practice it. But it, if you flip it around and you figure out the value, whatever that number is, from a thousand to a million to a hundred million, and then you set prices that are a small fraction, 10%. 22%, 50% of that number, and you give them options to choose from, and you pick a scope inside of each one of those budgets that you would gladly do for that amount of money, then it's not going to matter if it takes you a couple extra revisions. It's not about measuring this stuff down to the penny. When you don't have tight margins, you don't have to measure it down to the penny. I mean, it's always been the question of, flat fee, or you could just figure out how many hours it's going to take you. And then that's a flat fee, which is of course, why it's not an attractive option. Cause maybe you don't know how long it's going to take you. Even though he was saying as a professional, you should figure it out. Like it's your job. You should, you should know how long it's going to take. And it's true that after all this time of doing what I do for the most part, unless I get a needy person, I know how long this type of project is going to take. I don't know how long, how many times that person might change their minds. Although in my heart I do. And I do kind of know this is the kind of person who's just going to change their mind all the time. And then when I was charging hourly, because I've already changed my mind on that. So when I was back, you know, this morning charging hourly, um, I didn't care because then I could just um, charge them more. Okay. Do it again. I don't care. But you know, I love the idea of being like this trusted um, person that is helping them achieve their big goal. And as I was saying, when we were after afterwards, for some reason, I imagine just kind of like being one of the people in their inner circle, just kind of like lounging around in one of their fancy rooms 
because I'm just getting paid, you know, I'm getting, I'm adding value to their lives and they appreciate me for that, you know? So that's a different thing than working hourly. I, I have a, I have a whole workshop, a challenge that I do and, and coaching program that I do sometimes called from, uh, um, <laughs> what's it called? It's, it's called, uh, <laughs> from service provider to trusted advisor. And there is no way that you can be seen as the trusted advisor if you don't know. And, and you're not explicitly saying, oh, I don't know how long this is going to take, or I don't know what this process is like. But by saying, hey, I'm going to charge you hourly because of all the variables and all, you're saying that. There are a couple of other things that he said. One, one was, um, because this this is coming from, there's a lot of fear wrapped up in value-based pricing, fixed fee, you know, these, these types of methodologies, and it's coming from a scarcity mindset and it's coming from a place of having very small margins. And I think those were super important points as well. Um, you know, I, I asked him obviously on purpose, you know, what about, when that client prospective client comes to you and says, Hey, I'm talking to two or three architects and you happen to be one of them. He said, I'd walk away. I'd take my hat out of the ring, you know, get out of that competitive environment because they're, they're, they're price shopping. And that's, that's part of that. Where that uh, narrow margin mindset comes in. Well, I've got to beat these other two. At the same time, it would make sense to me that clients would interview a few architects because they want to know, get to know them a little bit. So how do you, do you even still bother? So I, I think that's, I, I think that's an interesting question. And we didn't push back against that in the conversation with Jonathan, but I think what you're talking about is reality for a lot of people. Um, the car analogy comes up a lot. If you say, hey, I want this Mercedes, you're probably still going to make a more than one inquiry about purchasing that Mercedes. You know, maybe it's, yeah. And so I think that's, that's reality. One of the things I've heard Jonathan say in other interviews as I was preparing for today's talk is in that situation, and I 100% agree with him here, in that situation, where you're one of three, let's say, um, they, they have interviewed two or three architects, probably one of the biggest um, commitments they've made in their lifetime, depending on the project and scale of it and scope and so forth. So they're talking to several. In that scenario, you have to stand out. You have to be I think the way I heard him say it is meaningfully different than the other two. And that, that meaningfully piece is important, right? It's not, it's not just, Oh, we, you know, we use pink pet, we use uh, pink paper for our proposals or something like that, but where the other two may say, Hey, this is the scope of the project. These are the, the drawing sheets. And, you know, I'm raising my hand. You can't see this as you're listening to it, but I'm raising my hand because I've written proposals like this. These are the deliverables down to the drawing sheet, down to, you know, this many elevations and so on and so on and so on. 
because the other architect is going to have a proposal that looks a, a whole lot like that. So I, I, that's, that's the way they, they, that's the way we've always done it. So how do you become meaningfully different? You know, and what he's talking about is starting with their success, your client's success in mind. So why don't you start a proposal talking about what they have said success looks like and, you know, going through this process that he described um, or aspects of it that he described as we were talking to him in this conversation. You know, one thing that I thought was really um, another way, another different perspective is like, you don't actually lose money. Like we don't lose any money. It's not like we have a cash outlay for wood that then we don't get to use. And so we've lost money or we have this wood, whatever, but we don't actually lose any money. Like maybe, and he addressed the idea of undercharging. It's like, so maybe you don't make as much as you wanted to on a particular job and you learn from that. And if you don't deliver what the value that you had promised that you would, either you return the money or you make it good or you do something else. So it's, um, I don't know, I, I thought that was bringing it more into the realm of reality, what might actually happen because things can go wrong with that. I would imagine it's not just this rosy thing where you make 10 times the amount of money you're making now and then that's it, right? There's still a responsibility that we have to deliver what we say we can deliver for different price points. Yeah, I think I think that was an excellent point too. That's one thing that's been freeing for me because I I I I'm trying to do what he's talking about. And so I have these types of conversations that he's talking about. And and what I do is different than uh you know, I don't I don't do I don't quote unquote do architecture anymore. So it's what I do is a little bit different although the process is very very similar, but but I try to have these value conversations when I can. And the way that he defined value is, was basically what someone's willing to, willing to pay for it. I try to approach it in a different way. Uh, if, if I can, um, it, if I have it. So if, if we're talking about branding or marketing or something like that, I, I try to get to quantifiables. Uh, as an example, I had a client that I worked with last year and we were talking about messaging, you know, branding things in their website. So, okay, well, if X number of, if, if you had an increase in people that clicked on this on your website, what would happen? Well, you know, a certain percentage of people that click on that eventually become clients and so on. So what's the value of that? Um, well, it's a hundred thousand dollars, you know, just making up numbers. Okay. Well then my fees, 10% of that. And so, you, you know, I try, I try to quantify it. That's not always possible. And that's not how he, he really defined it. But um, when, but, but I have found that extremely freeing to say, okay, if we can agree that the value is this, you know, between me and the client, if we can agree that the value is this, I'm part of that agreement, right? I'm, ha- I'm one half of that agreement let's do this thing right? and start working on it. And that does a couple of things. Number one, it allows me to not even really think about the hours anymore. I, I absolutely have to keep track of the cash flow that I need to have and all of those things, but it doesn't, it doesn't have me just myopic, myopically focused on, Oh my gosh, how many meetings have we had? How many hours have I put into this? So on and so forth which then removes me 
from being frustrated, at some point I may think, oh, wow, this is a really high maintenance client. I'm putting more into this than I intended. But then I have to be frustrated with myself. You know, I agreed to this. I, I missed the mark on this, perhaps. I sh- maybe I should have, you know, bumped this up or whatever. But not being myopically focused on the hours and the number of meetings and all of these things, and rather focused on completing this thing and their success has really changed things for me um, because it's, and I, and this is where it's very similar to architecture. Okay. Well, you know, I charge, here's a flat fee, you know, in the back of my mind, I want to make X number of dollars per hour. So I figured this much into a flat fee and all of a sudden in my mind, I'm losing money because I've, I've gone over that. Now, instead of if I wanted to make $200 an hour, now I'm down to $20 an hour because of this time I put in. But back to that point you made earlier that, that Jonathan talked about, I haven't actually lost anything. I didn't have any wood, as you said. I didn't have any goods sold or you know anything like that. I, I've, I'm just making less per hour, which is frustrating, certainly, but I'm still making money. And that, that's one of the reasons I love what he's talking about is because it's, it's, it's changed the way that I do business. I don't know. I do like the, the why conversation, but I do feel like I, maybe I do enough work for the same types of clients that I kind of can do more of a cold read, you know, people who are building a bedroom area for the in-laws who visit a lot. Right. So of course there are two people. One of them is the parent, the parents of one of them. And the other one wants them to have a separate area away from their base, you know? So usually it's pretty easy to read. I mean, it's pretty universal reasons why people are doing that among couples with young babies, usually whose in-laws come and stay for a long time. And having been there myself, I can relate to that. My own feelings about it probably are similar. Imagine if you went into every sales interview with ESP, right? You can start to do, there's a, there's a guy named Oren Claff. He has a, a concept called a cold read which I love. It's, it's, it, I would say it's like the black belt level of uh, uh, the why conversation. It's where you don't even need to have the why conversation. You walk in and they say, Hey, thanks for coming in. And you're like, stop right there. Let me tell you what's going on with your business. You could just be like, let me guess. You've got $50,000 a month of payroll. You're up nights, figuring out how to, how to figure to pay it. You've swiped your credit card through your own machine so that you can make payroll. You uh, are trying to figure out which person you're going to fire. You're trying to figure out how you're going to say it. You you not get enough client, and he just dresses you down and explains everything that's going wrong with your business. And you're just like the kid in the room, like at the the kids' table at Thanksgiving, being lectured by an adult. If you have a really really focused target market, you can do a cold read, which is even better than the why conversation, because then you don't have to put in the effort. They don't have to have this. It's, it's a, it's some emotional labor to uncovering the real, someone's not going to want to say, I want to be the talk of the town at the club. So for you to uncover that from them, it's not fun. You know, it's not always a fun process, but if you can just come in and be like, and just read the person because you're, you're used to working with the type 
then everybody's different, but still there, there are certain things that are common and, and you're just great at that. You can start creating productized services. You can create products, products that sell while you're sleeping to serve this target market. You you have so much latitude in terms of diversity and different revenue streams. If you, if you get really, it's weird because you get really focused, but then it opens up a whole new universe of possibilities for you, even though you got more focused. Let's take a quick break to share more about our sponsors, systems and standard operating procedures. You already know that's how to build a profitable business and find the freedom that you want. You need systems and procedures, but you struggle with choosing which systems you need the most and how to implement those systems quickly so that you can get back to doing what you love to do the most. The Designing Your Business Masterclass series was created by acclaimed architect and business consultant, Douglas Teeger, FAIA, to help fellow architects and engineers run their firms more profitably while maintaining a healthy work-life balance. Douglas grew from a solo practitioner to becoming managing partner of his 30-plus person firm and then later sold his firm so that he can do what he does today, helping architects be more successful at Tiger Consulting. On the third Wednesday of every month, Douglas dives deep into an essential topic that will strengthen the profitability of your firm and make it sustainable for growth in the years to come. Register now for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass with Douglas Teeger at bqe.com slash masterclass. And then start implementing powerful systems for the profitability you need and the freedom you want. Every live masterclass session includes AIA continuing education credit. And when you visit bqe.com slash masterclass, you'll have access to the full library of past sessions on demand. The Designing Your Business Masterclass is free. It's brought to you by our friends at BQE, the makers of BQE Core, the software that makes it easy to manage your projects and your people for maximum productivity and ultimate profitability. Register now for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass at bqe.com slash masterclass. That's bqe.com slash masterclass. And now let's get back to the conversation. If you know more about your ideal client than the next architect down the road or whatever, then you're going to attract that ideal client and they're not. Um, of course, he, uh, Jonathan called it your, your target market, I think. But this, this, this becomes problematic for some people in the profession because they narrow down, hey, this is my ideal project type in law quarters in Arlington, Massachusetts. That's, that's my that's that's my ideal project type but we still have the way that i always describe it is if you have 10 people that want to build in-law quarters in arlington massachusetts in 2022 you know because all 10 of those people are couples or you know whatever the the unit is because they're human beings not all 10 of those are your ideal clients they have different attitudes, they have different values, whatever. So 
narrowing, go, going from ideal project type down to ideal client type is something that many architects have never done. And then taking it to the next level and learning more about those ideal clients than anybody else does. That's, you know, that's more and more effort and it's more and more niche and more and more scary because of the scarcity and all of that. But, but that's where the ability to do that cold read comes from is, Hey, this, this is my ideal client. I know my ideal client really, really, really well. It's not that I'm not going to listen to them. It's not that I'm not going to, going to have this conversation with them, but I've got a deep empathy for them because I know them and I understand them. And I can have these conversations and get very quickly to what they actually value and what success looks like for them. And, you know, you talked about the success conversation and the, the why conversation, you know, why me, why this, why now, um, which are, are common tools and, you know, in sales. Why this, why now, and why me? And so the, the sort of archetypal why this question is why not not do this and, and just let them sit with that. It's very open-ended. Why not not do this? Like this is going to be expensive. It's going to take a year out of your life or whatever. Why not not do it? Like, what are you really going to gain here? Why not not? Why now? The why now question, I'd say the archetypal question here is what changed that made this a priority? But there, you could, you, you could phrase it a hundred ways. You know, I, I have literally, I, I do a, a workshop on writing proposals and I have like a list of, you know, five or 10 different types of why of each of the why questions. It's just, it's, it's your personality. You can bring it in. It doesn't have to be why it could be how it could be what, but essentially what you're trying to find out is why this needs to be done in this manner, why it needs to be done now, if it does. And then the last one is why would you hire someone expensive like me to do it? Why don't you just do your, do your own blueprint or take a college course? or buy a blueprint online. Why would you hire someone to make a custom, someone like me, who you know is going to be the most expensive, the most expensive approach to, to do this thing for you? And that's the one that people have the most difficulty actually doing. You know, they'll say this why conversation might, might be something to this. And then they chicken out on the why me question because they want the work too badly. But think of what happens if you don't ask. In that live one-on-one -on -one situation, you are going to be at your most persuasive. You're going to be the, the information that you can get in the real time format is going to be at the maximum. If you don't ask that question, then when you're writing your proposal, if that's the next step for the way you do your business, you're going to have to do it there. And then you're just going to be needy in the proposal. You're going to be like, well, I don't know why they don't hire someone cheaper. It's like, so then you're just going to be trying to justify your fees. And instead of doing that, you'll just lower them. So if you find out in conversation, if you find out that they can't just go buy a blueprint or they don't have the time to go take an architecture course or get certified, or they don't have a cousin Vinny who's a home designer that, or an interior designer that could maybe do a pretty good job. He's thinking about becoming an architect. If all of those things are ruled out, you can take those reasons and put them right on the page and say, you can't hire your cousin Vinny. You don't want to go take a course. You, you can't buy a blueprint online. So you're left with me.
there is a lot here that will challenge the audience. And what, what Catherine was talking about in signing up is the, uh, he gave us a, a website where you can go. It's valuepricingbootcamp.com. And you can sign up for his six-day email boot camp and apparently more. I, I think the last important takeaway was this idea of understanding how your prospective client values this thing, whatever it is, coming up with those three tiers, and then designing a product or a service to meet that price. And I, I, to me, I think that was maybe radical is probably not the right word was, but it's a little bit radical because I know there are a lot of people in the community that do three tier pricing, but he comes at it from a different direction and says, okay, well, you, you start to figure out what their value is. How do they value this? Well, I think this is worth uh, $35,000. And then we create three tiers and maybe it's 35, 25 and, and 10. And then we match what we think we can do to help them meet their goal for that price. I think it gets easier, the better, you know, your ideal client and, you know, deal more, you deal with the ideal client. I thought, I thought that was, was probably pretty radical for, for our community. Thank you to BQE, the makers of BQE core for their support of this podcast episode. Visit bqe.com slash masterclass to register for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass. Well, what did you think? Did you hear something in there that you can use in your practice today? If you were so inspired by this conversation that you'd like to watch the entire Context and Clarity Live episode, head on over to the Entree Architect YouTube channel. There's a playlist there that has all of the full Context and Clarity Live episodes. And if you want more of the Context and Clarity podcast delivered to you every week, give us a thumbs up and subscribe wherever you consume podcasts. If you like content like this, check out Gable Media. It's a multimedia network for people that care about the built environment, and it's the home of Context and Clarity. With Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know you'll find something there that interests you. You can learn more at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-media.com. And one last thing before you go. If the topic of today's episode is of particular interest to you, join me over on Facebook today at 4 p.m. Eastern inside the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. That's where every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern, I host Context and Clarity Conversations, and we take topics like this, and we dig deeper. We have a conversation in real time to try to find more clarity around the things that matter most to you. So thanks for listening. I hope our time together has inspired you to think about your community and your practice and how you can support those around you. We'll be back here again next week. And in the meantime, I hope you'll join me and the Entree Architect community on Facebook today at 4 p.m. Eastern so that we can help each other find more clarity around the topics that matter most no matter what your context is. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? 
Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us. Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.